0: Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by former Florida State quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward, Bahamas Bowl Executive Director Lee Miller-Tooley, and Chief Strategy Officer of Digital Seat Rob Steger. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest won the 1993 Heisman Trophy as quarterback for Florida State University. He led the Seminoles to their first-ever national championship in 1994. He's the only Heisman winner to play in the NBA, enjoying a 12-year career in the league after being drafted in the first round by the New York Knicks. We welcome today's first guest, Charlie Ward. Charlie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Nate, for having me on. Appreciate it very
0: much. You were at Florida State really kind of in in a golden era. And, uh, and obviously, Coach Bowden had a lot to do that, with that. I want to ask you about what was it like playing for him?
1: It was definitely a, a great joy um, because he surrounded himself with great coaches uh, that was like-minded. And it's always something that you want to have. Uh, if you're a head coach, you want to have coaches that are like-minded. And, and so it was just I mean, when we started talking about the cream of the crop, as far as coaches, but more importantly, you know, just the stability that we had as as a unit uh, for my five years. I mean, I had for four of those years, I had the same coach um, as a position coach, and for and uh, five of those years, I had the same running back coach, the same wide receiver coach, the same tight end coach. Uh, the offensive coordinators kind of changed um coach Bowden coach uh Scott Brad Scott um and coach Mark Rick they were all kind of there together but the stability was something that I always admired uh when it came down to our coaches and you know that was one of the reasons why we were successful
0: Yeah, you don't see that kind of uh, continuity nowadays, and that could be why. (laughs) That could be why some teams struggle for sure. Well, that national championship game was obviously a unique experience, but most players don't get an opportunity to play for a national championship, so they really look forward to the bowl game experience. And you've had, you know, know, you've had those as well. So let's talk about bowl games. You're including your redshirt freshman year, your true freshman year. uh, You were part of five bowl games. Um, interestingly, you played Nebraska in three of them. Uh, we talked about the back-to-back orange bowl, your true freshman year. You guys also played them in the fiesta bowl. And then you also played three of them in Miami. Again, the two orange bowls, as well as the blockbuster bowl and against Penn state in 1990. So in general, tell us about the bowl experience, what it was like at that age to spend a a week in Miami Phoenix, you went to a cotton bowl in Dallas with your teammates. What, what, What was that like?
1: Ah uh, well, most of them, outside of the the last two, um, I was in and out. Um, uh, I mean, not last two, but the my freshman year and my junior and senior. Year. The two years in between, I was in and out because I was playing basketball, uh, doing bowl prep time, and then bowl season. So, um. But those experiences were always fun. Um, you know, you got an opportunity to um, be with your teammates. One and two, you get an opportunity to, to do different things uh, while you're there. You know, as a group. Um, and so there, there were always times that we were always looked forward to. You know, being able to go and experience. You know what the what the city had to offer. Um, and they always do a great job of bringing the two teams together at some point to do competitions or, you know, be together as, as teams uh, to hear a speaker or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I always enjoy, enjoyed, you know, the bowls because it gives everyone an opportunity to have an off offseason uh, game or one of those that qualify an off season game um, as you prepare as you finish one season, um, and you start preparing for another season, um, which, so you get some young players in, especially if they're, if certain bowl games, you get some young players in, get them, you know, get the feet wet a little bit. Uh, but I know for myself, um, my, my freshman year, I was the punter the whole year, but I didn't punt, but I enjoyed my Phoenix experience. Uh, 100% and the other years, you know, I enjoyed those as well, even though I was in and out playing basketball, any then, stories
0: like, or specific memories from those bowl weeks. You know, you mentioned, uh, the bowl organizers like to show you what's the, you know, what's the best thing about their community. And they have fun activities for the teams individually, as well as with the other teams, any, any particular event or, you know, something your teammates did that sticks out in your mind.
1: I just I just remember going to some of the um, breakfasts, team like the FCA uh, breakfasts, um, which are always pretty pretty special, especially since I'm a Christian. Um, And it was something that I know as a team we went um, one because they had breakfast, (laughs) and um, and two because we were able to you know, be together, you know, had practice afterwards. Uh, but, you know, it was always special moments uh, that you get a chance to spend time with your teammates. And, uh, I, you know, I do remember there was a bull ride uh, when we were in Phoenix. Um, one of the competitions we had against Nebraska uh, was who who can ride the bull, the mechanical bull, um, the longest. And so, of course, that got the the juices flowing, competitive juices flowing. Uh, but those are just, there are a lot of moments like that uh, that we had uh, th- that you always kind
0: of enjoy. Uh, a couple questions about basketball before we let you go. Uh, we mentioned you were chosen in the first round of the NBA draft by the Knicks. Uh, why did you choose the NBA of stu- uh, instead of pursuing a career in the NFL?
1: Uh, well, as you know, the NFL has a draft, just like the NBA, and so um, I gave myself options when it came down to what I wanted to do professionally, and so I worked did not everything necessary to get into the NFL, uh, because they had the first draft, and I was preparing for a basketball as well, uh, but they did have the first draft, and you know, I just made the statement that if I didn't get chosen in the first round of uh, the NFL draft, then, you know, I would consider my other options. And, of course, that was something that probably doomed me for getting drafted. Uh, but I knew going in that that could be a possibility of not being drafted when I made that statement. But it was true. If I had gotten drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, I would have gone and played football. Like, there would been no discussion. Uh, But I didn't get drafted at all, which opened the door for me to go and pursue basketball 100% um, at that time. And then God opened that door, which was my prayer.
0: Well, it certainly worked out for you. I mean, the average career in the NFL is, you know, three or four years where you played, I think, 12 years in the NBA. So um, happy that worked out for you. Those Nick teams, I'll tell you, they were so much fun to watch when you were there. Madison Square Garden was electric every night during that time. Well, j- just tell us about that. What was it like to play in New York City alongside Patrick Ewing in the in the mecca of basketball?
1: Uh, well, I did have some glory days, um, and then at the end of my career there, uh, the days weren't as glorious. Uh, and we had both at the best of both worlds, meaning you know they they came to support, but they also were harsh. Uh, When you did do well, uh, which, you know, you don't mind people being harsh, but we also want to encourage it, Uh, which they did. They showed up each and every night. And when we had our glory days, which we, I think we went six straight years or part of the playoffs was six straight years. And one of those years we made it to the finals. Um, They were there supporting us um, each and every game, sellouts. Uh, each and every game, and that's kind of what you expected, you know, being at Madison Square Garden. And um, It was I was blessed to be able to play there because I had seen it a lot on television, uh, but to be there every night playing home games uh, was was different. Uh, but it was a great experience. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything else, and I was grateful that you know the Knicks gave me an opportunity.
0: Well, Charlie, uh, I know you're busy. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, we enjoyed talking to you. Uh, go coach your basketball team uh, and good luck this season. All right. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Bahamas Bowl Executive Director Lee Miller Tooley. Stay with us.
2: The forecast for this tax season it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to TaxAct.com to get started today.
0: Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is the president at Complete Sports Management and the executive director of the Bahamas Bowl, Lee miller Tully. Lee, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Nick. I'm so excited to be on and to, to talk with you guys.
0: It looks like uh, you're you're halfway around the world. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I'm in Sydney, Australia. Got in this morning and just um, they're doing a big procession for the late queen. So it's an interesting time to be here, but I appreciate you having me.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll get into all the elements of your job a little bit later in the show. Uh, the Bahamas Bowl is the first ever bowl game outside either the U.S. or Canada since the 1937 Bacardi Bowl in Cuba. So give our listeners some insight on how and why the Bahamas Bowl was created back in 2014.
2: Yeah, so the impetus was really created back in 2011. So I am the founder and tournament director of the Battle for Atlantis, which is another early season college basketball tournament located in the Bahamas. And after our inaugural year in 2011, I drove out to what's a soccer field. Soccer's the national sport in the Bahamas. And I said, why not college football group in the South? I thought it would be a really unbelievable place to do a bowl game. And just sort of thought to myself, this would be such an amazing place for a student athlete to come down and, you know, do something different, do something that's kind of not been done obviously in over 50 years. And so that was the very basic nucleus of okay, let's try and do this. And then several years, you know, two years went by, and I went to a couple of spring meetings with college football and sort of networked and let them know I, you know, here's the nucleus of what I'm thinking. This is what we're trying to do. And conference, you would say bid on it. And Britton Banowski called me and he said, Lee, what about a bowl game? You know, what about us tied in with someone else? And I said, yes, this is exactly what I've been trying to do. And he came down with John Steinbrecher and we just sort of formed a pack, if you will, of, okay, we're going to do this, let's figure it out. And that was sort of the beginning of what's now been the longest running international bowl game in the history of college football postseason.
0: That's, that's really cool uh this you you touched on this this bowl offers a destination that many athletes only dream of going to we all know there's a football game played but what else does the bahamas bowl experience look like for the players who participate and the fans who attend
2: well, I mean it's opening a passport and getting a passport stamp you know a lot of these players coaches family members you know presidents of universities it's either their first passport stamp or their last passport stamp, first and last in, in some in, in some instances. It's just it's a destination unlike any other game. You get to go somewhere, it's 80 degrees, the month of December, it's absolutely beautiful. You are immersed in a totally different culture. You get to experience first class resort hospitality. You know, so many games have to create situations where oh what we what what are these players gonna do today or you know what kind of hospitality do we have like ours is we're in a very beautiful position where we don't have to do that it's created for us because it's such a beautiful and unique place.
0: Do you have a favorite memory from the Bahamas bowl thus far?
2: I too have a lot of to memories. Too, too many to count. I have a lot I have a lot of memories I think you know, anytime you create something from scratch, something new, something in a country that's never been done before, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of painstaking things that go into it. You know, our inaugural year, we had Central Michigan and Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky was annihilating Central Michigan. And I'm putting out a lot of fires. It was a crazy, crazy game, but the fourth quarter, you know, I, I looked up and I'm like, oh my God, this is actually like, it's West, central Michigan's coming back. Long story short, the last play of the game, there was three triple laterals. It, it was the craziest play maybe in the history of college football. And we ended up getting nominated for an ESPY. And we had Popeyes as our inaugural title sponsor, which because of that, they ended up opening three of the most successful franchises all over the world from this game. And I got to walk the red carpet with these kids from Central Michigan because of this lateral play. Which was one of those things that was just like, it was hell at the time. There was so much work that went into it, but we it was it was truly rewarded by ESPN for kind of, everything that went, went into it. So that was a really unique memory.
0: I never knew that story, Lee, something, uh, something that could have never happened, had that yeah. opportunity for that bowl game, never been created. Correct. You mentioned 2010. I think that's roughly when we met uh, you and I, about 12 years ago, I was at the big East and you had, mm-hmm. you know, that big idea you mentioned to start a basketball tournament in the, in the Bahamas and call it the battle for Atlantis, which is still going strong. Tell us a little bit more about how that idea came about and how it's evolved over the years.
2: Yeah. So I was living in New York city. I was working at IMG, which was at the time, one of the largest sports agencies in the world. And I played tennis with the, at the time the, the chief financial officer of the Atlantis. And he brought me aside and kind of off the record said, Lee, look, you know, Michael Jordan's golf tournament was not going to get renewed. It was 10 years had kind of run its course. We need something to take its place. So he connected me with the the CEO of the Atlantis and I'm a huge college basketball fan. I grew up, I was born and raised in the South. I played tennis at Wake Forest and Georgia Tech. So I grew up college basketball. So I immediately pitched college basketball. And so super long story short, I left my company. I, I left IMG. I went to To start my own business. And I wanted to form Battle for Atlantis. Well, the country of the Bahamas was not an exempt territory in a a specific bylaw within the NCAA. So, long story short, I had to change an entire bylaw for the Bahamas to be added into what's called an exempt bylaw so that they had status to create a multiple team event. So, through that, we've sort of built, you know, one of, if not the most prestigious men's college basketball tournament in college basketball, as well as women's in the early season in the November timeframe. So it was just, you know, my first year I had UConn, which was, I stalked Jim Calhoun. I went to over 20 UConn basketball games and, you know, begged him to play in our inaugural year. And I had UNC Asheville and Central Florida and then the next year I had Duke and Louisville and Memphis and VCU and it's just sort of steam steamrolled from there but it was a labor of love and one that you know I believed in the Atlantis believed in the Bahamas believed in and through that that's really how we ever had a shot to create the Bahamas Bowl.
0: And since then, you've done so much for building an international fan base in college sports. I know in addition to your work in the Bahamas, you also coordinate foreign tours for various college basketball Mm -hmm. programs during the summer. You're very busy this summer. Tell us about those experiences and what you like most about them.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, we're all over the world. You know, this summer we launched it with Auburn in Israel. So we had the first power five team. Um, in Israel got to bring Bruce Pearl we had three games on the SEC network went into Palestine we were in Jerusalem we were in Tel Aviv played the Israeli national team you know from there I took LeBron James his kids to London Paris and Rome we had Sierra Canyon also three games on ESPN and ESPN2 we had Virginia and Italy we had Michigan and Greece we had Ohio State and the Bahamas we dealt with them. we had know 21 teams that we worked with it's just been most of our business is around the world but i'll bring it back to the bahamas where that was the impetus of battle for atlantis and then the bahamas bowl and then kind of launching my foreign tour business with kentucky on espn and the bahamas and then just i travel the world with my husband for a living for both of our businesses and so getting into the foreign tour space and just curating once in a lifetime experiences for coaches, athletes, and also, you know, creating content that media respects and wants and and needs. So it's, it's a really amazing, amazing opportunity to kind of go anywhere we want and work with who we want and, you know, deal in a sport that is you know, near and dear to, you know, the, the nucleus of my business.
0: Really interesting. I, I hope you're keeping really good notes for your book someday.
2: Well, there's a lot of proprietary information that I'll <laughs> never be able to share, but it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. I,
0: I get it. I get it. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about NIL for a minute. Uh, it's still new to college athletics. People are trying to figure it out but it seems to have influenced these early season basketball events like yours, uh, maybe first and and more so than, than some other areas. Can you tell us about that? And also how you think it might influence the Bahamas bowl and other bowl games in general in the future?
2: Yeah, look, it's an interesting space. Lever to hate it, it's not going anywhere. So if you want to keep up in college athletics, you have to get into the space. That's the way that I look at it. So. I'm not for it, I'm not opposed to it. It's just part of the new space in college athletics. So in college basketball, yeah, I'm in the space. We're launching a big time game this fall that's curated around NIL. It's a space that's not going anywhere. It's only going to gain momentum. And so as it relates to the Bahamas Bowl, we're in a, we're in a position to do some pretty cool stuff. If you, you know, especially if you have international athletes who currently um, can only get paid outside the United States. So we're in a position where, you know, let's find interesting avenues of how to get these players paid, you know, for doing what they love. And so have we figured it out yet in college football? no, But that's not to say that we're not going to and that we're opposed to it. I know that's very controversial, but in my view, and I'm very, you know, I'm heavily tied in college athletics, that's the space to be in. And so if we can find ways to, you know, build a business around it, you know, I'm definitely not opposed to it.
0: Very interesting. It'll be interesting to see how. Uh, this whole NIL landscape continues to evolve. And I think you're right, Lee. I think, um, like it or not, it's here and we need to find ways to use it to our advantage. Well, uh, sure. Lee, Lee, it is late where you are. So I'm gonna let you go. Thanks <laughs> so much for joining us. And thanks for all the great work you do for college athletics in general. Um, you're, you're, you're a unique person. You do a great job and provide a great service and, and provide so many Uh, amazing opportunities for student athletes. So thank you for that.
2: No, I appreciate it, Nick. I appreciate you. I think you're doing a fantastic job as our Football Bowl Association director. I'm proud to be associated and I really appreciate your time. So thank you for having me on.
0: It's my pleasure. Take care.
2: Talk to you soon.
0: Our final guest is brought to you by Digital Seat Media. Any venue, any device, no app required. to know every fan in every seat at every event and ironically we are now joined by the chief strategy officer for digital seat rob steeger rob welcome to
3: the show thanks nick thanks for having me
0: rob we, we all love college football and uh it's it's so unique uh the passion of the fans especially those who are attending the games live on game day i think is unmatched in sports but we know the trend across all live sporting events these days is that live attendance is declining. There's so many options for fans to watch games on TV or on their phones. It's, it's just easier and cheaper for people to stay at home sometimes. So teams are being forced to find new and innovative ways to engage their fans in the stadium on game day. You're sort of an expert on this subject. How big of a problem is this issue of declining attendance? And what can these teams and venues do to encourage fans to attend the games in person?
3: Yeah, I definitely think it's something they have squarely in their on their radar screen for sure. So it's it's a problem not just this year. Um, but it's been happening over the course of many years. So um, the way you do it is simply you improve the experience and that can be done a variety of ways. You can do it by creating um, new seating options, new luxury amenities, things like that. Um, Also things like just better amenities in general in terms of technology and trying to enable um, technology to support the type of experience that people have in their daily lives. So I think anytime you can kind of leverage, and you mentioned it, college football has that sort of inherent level of community and that just level of fandom that you're you're getting together to experience something well technology can be a part of that as well as i mentioned things like the you know enhanced seating assets for certain people who don't want to just sit you know with the masses i guess to sit in the bowl but technology can facilitate that type of community and there's and there's lots of there's lots of ways technology can can play a role in that as well
0: well digital c is a mobile web-based platform uh, that provides interactive fan engagement at live events by allowing fans to simply scan a QR code uh, located directly on the armrest of their seat or on the video board. Uh, tell us how that works and where this idea came from.
3: Yeah. So essentially um, the idea of the, the tags in the stadium came from our founder, Cameron Fowler. He was at a, I think he's described it as at a Chicago Cubs game years ago. And he, he's not from Chicago. Um, we're located in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and he wanted to be able to, you know, order a beer and, and you know get merchandise and things like that, but he wanted it to be more convenient. Didn't want to miss out on the game and things like that. So he, his experience is, is in technology and facial recognition and things like that. So he kind of worked through the issue of QR codes and kind of said like, look, the, when he conceived of this, and I don't know the exact year, but let's say 2016, 2017, um, the, the technology wasn't quite there. It wasn't readily available on your phone. You had to download a separate app for QR codes, things like that. So things have happened since then um, that enabled QR codes to become more prevalent. Probably the most prevalent thing happening to kind of make them in the mainstream was unfortunately the pandemic, which affected everybody. Um, But QR codes have become a lot more mainstream. People see them, they know what to do with them. You scan them, um, that's where it kind of came from. And in terms of digital seat and how we work, you kind of described it. There's a small tag, probably no bigger than a fob you may have for your local grocery or something that affixes to the seat on the armrest you scan that tag it launches what we call a progressive web app that is mobile based or a fan portal and on that we program in modules so think about it as separate pieces of content you see, it's a very similar it's a very simple and visual sort of orientation you can kind of vertically scroll up and down and see the different modules which can run the gamut from things like um, checking the rosters, checking live stats, um, offers from you know, being able to facilitate concessions or merchandise orders and, and gaming and AR experiences that we facilitate. It's all, it's all dynamically created and programmed specifically for the game, but it's literally right there at your fingertips and it works in low bandwidth environments. So yes, you need some level of connectivity, be it Wi-Fi or cellular, but it's very easy um, and very visual, very easy to kind of administrate and kind of get to the content you want and puts that content in your fans' hands very easily uh, without having to download an app.
0: Who are some of the teams you've worked with and do you have any success stories to share?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, the ones that kind of resonate, obviously this past year, uh, we did the Fiesta Bowl for the first time um, and that was phenomenal. We had had over 55,000 engagements at the Fiesta Bowl um, with about a 42% scan rate um, that we did there through the QR codes that we did. We didn't do physically tag the seats, but we actually put it on the Jumbotron and they did some really nice lead behinds and some seat drops and sorts of collateral um, and had fantastic results there. Um, another one that jumps to mind is things we've done. Oklahoma City Thunder is one of our partners in the NBA and we've done. We get about. We did their season last year. We got about 35% of uh, folks attending and fans attending scan those tags and. We had a lot of success with like click-throughs to enter to win. We had over 18,000 engagements over the course of the year um, for that one. Another one I'll mention real quick is um, we have a lot of partnerships in college uh, in college sports. Um, we have a great partnership with Learfield IMG College. Um, something we did with Baylor University for football um, last year was we did this program that was a, you know a section battle. So we basically prompted people on the Jumbotron in sections in these three separate sections to scan their digital seat tags, and whoever scanned the most tags in a set period of time won a free, uh, you know, some sort of coupon to get a free water burger. So I mean, that's just it. there's many more, but those are the ones that jump out, um, you know, quickly in terms of like success. But engaging fans, um, making it easy—I mean, all these things are, are what Digital Seed can provide.
0: Well, this certainly sounds like uh, the way of the future, Rob, for sure. And I'm sure we're going to see uh, more of that and see more of uh, Digital Seed in in uh, bowl games across the country uh, this coming year. Rob, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at a game sometime this year, hopefully.
3: Absolutely look forward to it, Nick. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on our social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. (laughs) you <laughs>